0: Welcome to Voices from the Grassroots. This is your host, Clay Haran, coming to you from Asheville, North Carolina. This episode, I will be speaking to Julia Olson. Julia is the Executive Director and Chief Legal Counsel of Our Children's Trust, the organization suing the United States government over climate change. Our Children's Trust is currently working on a variety of community organizing and legal efforts across the country, but this episode is focused primarily on Our Children's Trust's landmark court case called Juliana v. U.S. This case is led by Julia, 21 youth plaintiffs, and an organization called Earth Guardians. This specific case, Juliana v. U.S., has been referred to on CNN as, quote, the biggest case on the planet. Eric Grant, the lawyer defending the Trump administration in the Youth v. Gov case, himself referred to Juliana v. U.S. as having, quote, Trial of the Century, in quote, status. Julia and the 21 youth are making the case that we have a constitutional right to a stable climate system. In other words, this case is a really big deal and is exciting for a lot of environmentalists, including myself, that want to see radical actions taken to address climate change. I appreciate you being on the show,
1: Julia. Thanks for having me.
0: So you've been in public interest law for over 15 years now, and our society doesn't necessarily incentivize young lawyers to go into public interest law. So I was wondering... when you were a young lawyer, what was going through your head when you decided to go the public interest route?
1: Well, it's actually been over 20 years now. You know, I, I went to law school with the intention of wanting to be a lawyer who worked to protect the environment. And so that was, that was my path. And when I left law school, there were very few jobs and most of my colleagues were going the corporate law, law big firm route for sure. Um, so that definitely was you know, the bulk of the jobs that were out there. And I, I was just committed. You know, I, I grew up in the mountains of Colorado and had a real passion for protecting nature and wild places. And so I, I had my heart set on that. And I think, you know, what allowed me to do it was getting my foot in the door through internships that I did during law school and meeting other environmental public interest attorneys in the community who were both working for organizations like Earth Justice, but also attorneys who had started their own solo practices to do public interest environmental law. And seeing that it could be done without getting a job with an organization was definitely inspiring. Um, and then teaming up with some of those lawyers to start my own practice after I left earth justice, which was my first job and um, was just instrumental in allowing me to do that work.
0: So Julia, can you give our listeners a status update on what's going on over at our children's trust? What's new? Uh, what are you working on right now?
1: We have a lot of cases in the works, uh, cases at the state level. We're also working globally in other countries with partnering attorneys and young people. And the, the biggest case right now is the Juliana versus the United States case, which is our case on behalf of 21 young people suing the federal government. And that case is is really hot because we have a trial date of October 29th, 2018. And the, the judges in the district court here in Eugene, Oregon, have said that trial date is not moving. We're going to be in trial on October 29th. And so we are just full-on preparing for all the discovery we're doing, the depositions that we'll be taking of, of experts and witnesses and defending depositions of the plaintiffs and getting all of our document evidence and the visual exhibits and everything we'll be using at trial, ready to go. Uh, we're five months out at this point and um, and then it will be a 10 week trial. So um, we're excited, but that's that's our primary focus right now, legally. And then on the organizing side, our team is working on planning rallies around the country on the first day of trial. So working with leads in in all 50 states who will help plan rallies at federal courthouses where people will come and stand in solidarity with the Juliana plaintiffs as Mm we take those first steps into the courtroom on October 29th.
0: So there's been various studies that have attempted to show that public opinion and engagement has actually impacted the outcome of court cases specifically on the level of the Supreme Court. And I was wondering in terms of your case specifically, the Juliana versus US case, how important is public opinion both public opinion and engagement to the outcome?
1: I think we, the people, the public have a huge role to play in in democracy in general, Um, not just by, you know, going to the polling booth and voting, but participating um, in all aspects of civic life and including with the third branch of government, which is the the judiciary. So, you know, our, our philosophy at Our Children's Trust is we need people in the streets and we need people in the courts. We need people voting. You know, we need people in all these different democratic institutions participating. So I do think it matters immensely, um, not just for supporting sort of the outcome of the case, but the full implementation of the remedy that we're seeking, which is complete decarbonization of of the U.S. economy in all sectors by mid-century. And we need the people really understanding what that means and seeing how... That is actually a positive thing for our country to move in that direction and embracing that and continuing to pressure the, the political leadership around the country to make sure that the remedy gets implemented if, if the youth mm-hmm. win that remedy. Um, but, you know, in terms of public opinion on judicial decisions, one interesting comparison historically is at the time of Brown versus the Board of Education in the 1950s public support for desegregation was only at about 30% of the country supported that. And yet the Supreme court said, you know, this is discrimination. It is unconstitutional to separate black and white children in public education and not provide for integrated equal education for those children. And You know, that was a really pivotal moment for the civil rights movement, and it took a while for public opinion to catch up with that Supreme Court decision. Um, Conversely, you know, right now in the United States and, and for a while, the majority of public opinion has actually favored strong action on climate change. And so we don't have that same kind of barrier right now in terms of a constitutional decision that really embraces the right of young people to a climate system that is healthy and sustains their lives and their liberties. Um, So I think we're in a a really good position in terms of public opinion in in our country at this moment in time. Um, But courts can, they can lead at times and they can follow at times. So it's, I don't think it's one, one path.
0: So what, changes do you foresee happening to the structure of our society if you all are to succeed, if you win the case? Because it seems like in order to be consistent with the precedent that we have a constitutional right to a stable climate system, we'd have to make some pretty revolutionary changes to the way we're doing things. And also what how are you guys thinking about a situation of a victory without remedy or the courts declaring that to be consistent with that precedent is unrealistic or something along those lines? I've read that that's an issue that y'all are facing.
1: Well, if the court finds a constitutional violation, the court has to order a remedy. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the way our constitutional democracy is set up. Uh, the government cannot infringe on fundamental constitutional rights. And, and if courts find that they have, then they have to remedy that situation and bring whatever system is causing the constitutional violation, they have to bring it into constitutional compliance. So I, I'm not concerned about um, a finding of, of liability without a remedy in this case. And, you know, in terms of like a revolutionary shift, it's, it's interesting. I mean, in some ways it it seems revolutionary, but on the other hand, I often compare what needs to happen technologically in terms of what's happened with computers, right? So 50 years ago, the, the iPhone that you hold in your hand, that smartphone The computer technology in that was the size of, you know, two city blocks, right? That's how big computers were 50 years ago. And the technology has evolved so that now we have these amazing, powerful computers we can hold in our hands. And what's happened with our energy system is 50 years ago, we were drilling for oil and gas and starting to really invest in um, extracting coal from mountains, for example, and today we 're doing the same thing, and so the technology, even though technology exists to be powering our country country with renewable energy, um, and there's an amazing evolution in the technology that's available to us we're still choosing those old you know two city block size computers for our energy system, so I mean I actually think it's not. Really revolutionary. What needs to happen? We we need the natural evolution of technology and the advancement and what's possible with our energy systems. We need to allow that to unfold. And unfortunately, because of the urgency of the climate crisis, it has to happen very very quickly. That's perhaps the revolutionary piece is the time with in which we need to make that shift because we haven't done it over the past 50 years, when our government knew we needed to be doing it. So, and what if
0: our children's trust does not succeed? What if it fails in its efforts? What kind of steps do you foresee the organization taking or what kind of steps do you see yourself taking if that's the case?
1: Well, I I mean, I guess it depends on what you see as failure. Um, To me, we win only when we we have decarbonized and we've done it at a pace and by which we we have a shot of stabilizing our climate system and and protecting the ice sheets on the planet and our you know our experts say we we're running out of time because of the locked in heating particularly in the oceans that we won't be able to reverse on human time scales and so But if what you're talking about is winning at the Supreme Court, for example, in the Giuliana case, I mean, I can't imagine losing, actually, because the arguments legally that we're making are inherently conservative and will appeal to the conservative justices on that court. The facts are the best facts I've had in any case I've ever litigated in 20 years because they're so conclusive and so horrific um, in terms of what's happening. And so I I truly believe we will win all the way up on appeal. But let's say President Trump was able to appoint two new justices and they were complete climate deniers and and we can't get a 5-4 majority. And the court says people don't have a constitutional right to be safe in their climate system and yes the government can destroy the climate system and there's nothing we can do about it well in that case our democracy our constitutional democracy will have entirely failed and the intention of the founders would have entirely failed and you know that's when i think true revolution will be needed and then and then people will have to decide what kind of country they want to live in and whether we need to reform our democracy and our, and our nation and create a different kind of system. I don't believe that's how our constitution will be interpreted. And, um, but if that day comes, I'll I'll be right there with everybody else wanting to, um, take back our democracy in, in a different kind of way. Peacefully, I I believe in peaceful resistance and peaceful revolution. Um, But yeah, there will be a moment and hopefully the majority of the nation will be in the streets at that point um, demanding a different kind of result.
0: So there's a variety of climate change-related court cases going on right now. For example, Boulder is suing Exxon and San Francisco and Oakland are suing several big oil companies. I was wondering why our children's trust elected to sue the public sector, as in the government, and not target the private sector, which you could argue is responsible for the polluting and for the maintenance of a fossil fuel-based economy?
1: Yeah, it's it's a re- really good question, and it's a really important answer. Um, and, and I want to start by saying that... I have colleagues who are litigating those cases, and I am a firm believer that the industry that has profited off of creating these products of climate destruction, that they should pay for the damage they've done to public resources. (laughs) So there's no question about that because they profited off of that damage. But when it comes to protecting people, we institute government and we form constitutional democracies in order to protect people. And and it's our government and the officials who have a responsibility to adhere to the constitution, to act as public trustees and protect our essential resources for us and for future generations. And And it's really only government that can prepare the kind of national plans that we need here in the U.S. and around the world to very quickly allow us to decarbonize. And the reason for that is that the government controls all of these systems. So a lot of the evidence in our case shows that, um, you know, the United States, just as one example of one government, really dictated what our national energy system would look like, um, subsidized the the fossil fuel industry to help create that system, permitted all of their activities. So literally every piece of infrastructure that makes up our energy system in this country has the hands of the federal government on it, through permits and leases and approvals, um, among many other things that will be part of the story of our case. And not only that, but, you know, one thing that people don't know is a lot of the research and development that went into creating our energy system was done by the federal government. So, for example, hydrofracturing technology or fracking, that research and development was conducted by the Department of Energy and then handed over to industry to allow them to begin the huge fracking boom that we've seen in the last several decades the industry didn't have the capacity or the financial resources to develop that technology. So the government did it for them. So government really has controlled the whole system and continues to control the whole system. And, you know, even if the damages cases that you referenced, if they're successful, which hopefully they will be, to hold Exxon and other companies liable for under public nuisance theory. The remedy they're seeking in those cases is adaptation. So what they want is money for those cities to be able to um, improve infrastructure, to pay for the damages to their communities. So for example, in the San Francisco-Oakland case, they want money to improve their their sewer system, which is being impacted by sea level rise, to build seawalls, to defend against sea level rise, But those cases are not seeking remedies for the actual problem, which is to restore the atmospheric resource, right? And to decrease emissions. And the philosophy is if we we put more financial pressure on the industry, that they will um, fold or they will on their own decide to change course, But that just, in my view, that's not going to happen quickly enough. And it's very important that we pressure those industries and make them pay. But without government leadership, the private sector is not going to solve climate change on its own. It just is not going to happen um, because government keeps supporting and promoting a fossil fuel energy system. And there will always be someone to stand up and profit from that.
0: And do you think if y'all are to succeed that we would see significant changes to corporate, social, and environmental responsibility? Would it change, for example, uh, corporate governance structures or something like that?
1: So, you know, just to be clear, because our case is against government and it's about constitutional rights of young people, uh, the remedy is only going to be against government. and. And there will still be a lot of discretion within the federal government to decide how best to implement decarbonization across the country. Um, So the court can't like outline the specifics of what the government needs to do, but the government, but the court can set a standard for the government and require it to prepare a plan about how it will ensure that the decarbonization happens. But what, but what I think you know, you're know you getting at and is important for, for the public to understand is that creates an immense opportunity for people to step in and start participating in the process of how do we want our energy systems to function? And as local communities, how do we want to take back some control of those systems so that these energy systems work for us and our needs and, and what we conceive of as community. So I think there's going to be, just because of the nature of the shift that has to happen, there will be a lot of opportunity to rethink corporate power and corporate structure, particularly at as that interfaces with, with local governance. Um, I just think there's immense opportunity. And, and there's also a really important opportunity for disadvantaged communities and frontline communities to have greater power in those moments so that there aren't further social injustices that are perpetuated by the shift to decarbonization. Um, Yeah, there's just immense opportunity. So I do think we will see a shift. That's not our our central focus at our Children's Trust, but I think it's, it's gonna help catalyze a lot of other people's efforts for us to rethink the role of corporations in our economy and in our democracy.
0: If people want to participate or help in y'all's efforts, What kind of steps can they take right now to do so?
1: Yeah, well, the the first thing people should do is go to youthvgov.org and sign up. There's a way you can share what your interests are and how you want to get involved. And then we have our organizing and community engagement folks who will be in touch about how to plug in and helping to organize rallies, or if you have legal skills you want to donate to the cause or you're a writer and want to help get the word out or whatever it is, there's a lot of ways to plug in and support all of these young people who are really standing up for all of us.
0: And what other organizations who might not be coming at the climate crisis from a legal direction are you excited about or do you think people should get involved with?
1: Yeah, gosh, I mean, there's so many great organizations out there. One of our key partners, of course, is Earth Guardians, and they're a fantastic youth-led organization. And then the Citizens Climate Lobby, you know, they're, they're working on the legislative side of trying to price carbon, and they're a really important partner, and we'll have, they'll be ready with legislation should Congress decide to step in and provide a remedy through the legislative pathway, in response to a judicial order in this case. And and then there's new groups that are also being led by young people like Sunrise, which is really trying to mobilize people during the elections and afterward on climate and social justice issues. You know, the local 350.org chapters do amazing work at the local level, and we partner with a lot of them. So, there's just a, a ton of organizations, I think, working on climate um, on all fronts. And, and we're excited to be partnering with many of them and many, many more around the, the world, actually, both in our legal effort, but also in our organizing effort to to have these rallies happen on October 29th and, and really have the world watching in Eugene as, as these young people go to trial.
0: Okay. Also, can you repeat the date of the Eugene Oregon trial and the time that it starts? So people who are listening uh, can put it on their calendar maybe.
1: Yeah. So October 29th, 2018, will probably start at, 9 a.m. at the, the federal courthouse in Eugene, Oregon, and Judge Ann Aiken will preside over the trial. And this is the trial of 21 youth against the United States and many federal defendants, including President Trump. And we're taking them you know, to task for infringing the fundamental constitutional rights of, of young people in future generations.
0: Julia is the Executive Director and Chief Legal Counsel at Our Children's Trust. Julia, thanks for being on the show. If you want more information about the Youth VGov case and more of Our Children's Trust's efforts, you can go to OurChildren'sTrust.org. You can also go to Our Children's Trust's website and donate, which I highly recommend doing. And that does it for this episode of Voices from the Grassroots. Thanks for tuning in. This is your host Clay, signing out.